I'm waiting to see if something pops up. So far, nothing new. No? No. <laughs> but I don't know what the delay on. Oh, dude, is, is, is it a preview? Live recording. What in the world? Oh, that's a preview. This is live. You see? I told you. I told you that. What do you see? How you need to go on the other side. Huh? Oh, so you can so see us now. It's just a little delay. What do you, you see? Oh, you need to go on the other side. Where's it at now? Guys, for anybody who's watching right now, well... Because he's so busy, uh, we no longer have our, our videographer who is uh, helping us in studio yeah, thanks a lot. to put this thing together. So uh, we're actually uh, figuring this thing out ourselves, which is why we're trying to make sure that the, uh, the visual is on. Is it on? Yeah, it should be on. Let right. me check again. Check on, because I switched it back, bro. So I hope it didn't switch back. Man, it's been a long time since. Woo, man, too long. Too long. The visual is on. Is it on? Yeah. Should be on. Because I switched it back, bro, so I hope it didn't switch back. All right, let's go, baby. So, uh, guys, it's been a long time since we've been on, but I'm glad uh, that we are back on. Uh, we moved locations again because things got busy and it was in a small office and uh, it was there was congestion and stuff like that, so we had to move back. Um, as you guys know, um, if you watch previous podcasts, I'm, I'm a new realtor, new real estate agent, just got my real estate license. So uh, I've been dealing with the learning curve of that. I've been trying to, to generate some momentum. You know, uh, if any of you know about real estate, you know, the beginning is the hardest part, trying to um, contact your circle of influences and build up your lead list and all of that stuff and follow ups and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot's been going on, not to mention uh, inflation. Uh, just to be transparent, has uh, for sure impacted my life. And so, you know, keeping up with bills and all that has been tough. Uh, I don't get no government assistance, but if I could, I would. They denied me. <laughs> if anybody works there, please. No kidding, dude. <laughs> I passed by uh, an apartment complex when I was searching earlier, and I can just see the little Section 8 on the corner of the title of the little apartment you know, complex. And I was just like, man, I was like, it must be so nice having Section 8, you know, some government assistance to pay for my rent. I was yeah. Like, I was like, I wish I qualified. Bro, my my neighbor pays like 170 she was telling me. Uh, 170 a month. Uh, must be nice. Bro, check this out. So, uh, and by the way, guys, uh, this is Kane Diaz, title of this podcast. Uh, I actually forgot what episode it is, but hey, you guys are my Facebook friends, so it doesn't matter too much. But when I do put it up on YouTube or Spotify, guys, follow us on YouTube and Spotify. Like, subscribe, comment, all that other good stuff and jazz that they say in usual videos, uh, just to get that out of the way. But um, yeah, Kane Diaz. 
Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, we're, we're, we're just really going to, you know, getting back into the flow of things. There's no particular topic that, that we've discussed on, on talking about today. There's been a lot that has transpired since my last episode. So I, I want to also kind of leave it open because I want to touch on whatever it is that kind of comes up in our conversation. And I don't want to limit it to any one particular thing because, again, it's been a while, you know. So I just want to st- talk casually and frankly with you guys. But, uh, yeah, what, what I was about to say was... I remember back in like 2012, I read this book. I think I've mentioned it before on a previous episode of this podcast, but it's called um, Suicide of a Superpower. Will America Survive to 2025? And it spoke about the welfare state and, you know, how the welfare state began. I think it was after LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson, shortly after the Great Depression, um, where I think they they launched a a war on poverty and then they ushered in... um, uh, the, you know, I think, I don't know if it was part of the new deal around that time, you know, but basically where the government just, the bureaucracy of the government really grew and expanded at that time. And, um, in order to, I guess, intervene in the depression and try to halt it or, or rectify it or fix it or whatever the case may be. But that, I guess that ushered in, uh, the welfare system, um, and he said that back at that time, it said how many like were the initial amount of stamps that they issued. And um, Dana, if she's listening, she's one of our listeners every ever so often. She's read the book also. So maybe she could comment later on the exact numbers. But they issued, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember, but, but it was a small amount, a couple million dollars of food stamps back then. Now mm-hmm. what the book said, and this was again, it was like 2012. We have the nation. We have a population the size of the nation of Spain that is dependent on the rest of the population of the United States. And basically what he was saying is it's an unsustainable system. And he used, I think it's Herbert Stein's law. It's actually called that Herbert Stein's law, which simply states what something that can't go on will stop. All right. Yeah. Yeah, bro. It sounds will, ridiculous. Will seize momentum. Right? Yes. Like, yes, bro. It sounds stupid. I don't know if he said that as a quote or a joke or what, but if you Google it, it's actually in there. Like it's Herbert Stein. I don't know. Maybe it was a joke, but either way, bro, it makes sense, man. And you know, now fast forward to now, bro, we're even getting even worse because, you know, we just recently passed the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. that. So the size of the yeah. IRS is going to double. They're going to, and, and supposedly it's specifically for the purpose of auditing more middle-class Americans. So supposedly 50% of the people who are audited make under $75,000 a year. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, the to touch up on the subject that you're getting at with the, the start of the welfare program, right? That was developed for the situation that was going on with the recession, right? Everything pretty much crashed, stock market crashed. But a lot of the mindset for those that were dependent on welfare back in the day, they were actually repaying the states back that money. Once they were able to get back onto their feet, they themselves were willingly to get back to the nation in order to make sure that this kind of programs were or to be beneficial for anybody who needed it. It was never developed for dependency. And yeah. I think that's where the nation went wrong, right? We, we implemented these, these programs and for, we didn't set restrictions on them as far as, okay, you can only benefit off of this program for 10 years, 
right? In those 10 years, you need to figure out how you're going to get out of this dependency. We just left it alone, right? Yeah. We didn't set caps. We didn't set limits. And I think that's where a lot of these, um, these issues are coming from is that dependency. We have a poverty mindset, right? That kind of is a generational curse in some sort of way that needs to be broken in our society. That's, that's just me. I think that's where we need to start off is limiting how, how much can one individual be dependent on, on these, uh, type of government aid assistance. I mean, I get it for the elderly, right? The elderly, the pregnant women, right? Anybody who's having some kind of cancer treatments, right? I understand that we're going to need to do some kind of emergency government assistance for them. Yeah. It's sad that the people that need it the most oftentimes may slip through the cracks. They may, Mm -hmm. or they may not get it because these food stamp offices are just overwhelmed with so many people submitting and there's so much there's so much fraud that happens as far as as that goes also so it's an unfortunate and i think a couple of things about it i think one i think you're absolutely right about the fact that we've become complacent in innate as a nation generally speaking we've been we've just been so pampered bro by our freedoms man i heard somebody talking about it today on another on another podcast man somebody who was a, a military guy and just at war and seen been all over the world on seen all these other nations and and we are bro we're so pampered but you know i don't want to go too farther down that road that's another story entirely but the second thing is that i also think it's i think it's like managed at, at the federal level right yeah, well, it's uh, the CMS, right? That stands for the Center of Medicare and Medicaid Services, right? So it's it's run, it's ran through federal. These are all federal government programs, right? But they're just trickled down to the state level and are managed through the state. But everything, at least the money-wise, is handled through federal. Right, it's, 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 it's managed through the state. I think... I think somehow it should try to be it should try to be delegated as close to the local level as possible because nobody understands the demographic, the culture and the people more than the people in the local community. Well, here's the thing and which kind of is a little bit alarming coming from my background. Right. Since I work in the Medicare field uh, for some of my clientele. I assist them with applying for what's called the Medicare Savings Program. What it essentially does is it helps low income people in certain poverty levels to get assistance with paying their Medicare. Now, depending on the situation, usually on average, the minimum that somebody has to pay for their Medicare is $170. So these pre these programs will assist these individuals in paying that $170 that they are responsible for. On average, that application takes about 30 to 45 days. It's taking four months. Yeah. It's taking four months now. And And why is that? What scares me, I don't know. But I can only speculate that it's a combination of things, combination of different variables. For one, the work field. There's just not enough workers that the case levels are just being backed up. Another thing is that the state doesn't have any more money. When you say state, do you mean the, na- the nation, the government, well, the, the federal, federal government? The federal government is running out of money. We can no longer afford to be in high demand as we typically are with some of these programs. So that's the thing that's kind of alarming me. 
Well, we haven't had enough money for a long time. I think they're getting to the point where they realize we cannot print any more money into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I touched on this in, in one of my episodes, but bro, it's so complex and, it, and it's so something that's, it's a topic that's so foreign to us because we really don't understand the banking system, the, the global, I, I don't. we could say it's, it is, I, I, bro, I, I'd say I understand it better than the next man. And to me, there's some things where it's like beyond me. Like what the okay the, the federal income tax was ushered in in 1913 as 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 well like it was it was basically a brother that was ushered in two twins born at the same time the Federal Reserve Act and the Federal Income Tax Act right so the Federal Reserve the banking system was centralized through that act of Woodrow Wilson and its partner or its brother was the federal income tax um, but before that we didn't so it makes me wonder you know what were we doing before then you know as far as uh. I don't know to have roads and stuff like that, but I mean, cars were, were barely being invented and stuff. But I mean, I'm, I'm even besides cars, like there's some type of in- infrastructure that's going on nationally. You know, I think they had the railroad system at that time. You know, like how were they? How are they doing those things? You know, maybe I'd have to talk to an old person to get the, those answers. But anyways, it's an ancestor. Yeah, but anyways, one thing that I found out recently was that in 2008 during that bailout. Not only did we bail out the banks of the nation, bro, we, we pretty much bailed out the banks of the world. So the Federal Reserve had put, and, and this is information that, again, I read a couple of months ago. So now it's become a little bit less detailed in my brain. But basically, the Federal Reserve had submitted to the government to seal the, the facts surrounding what happened during 2008 when they built out the banks, they, they put it an extension as long as possible. So in 2018, those records were finally unsealed. Well, we come to find out that they bought, they bailed out the world to the tune of, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. I'd have to go back and, and look at the information again because it's old. But basically, they bailed out the world for a lot more money than we thought they bailed them out. And... You know, the thing is, when you, when you bail somebody out, like, that's the thing that I don't really understand, bro. So let, let, let's, let's start off with the details and just a, c- a couple of the specifics that everybody can identify with at that time. Obviously, in 2008, there was a recession. A lot of people lost their homes. A lot of yeah. people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost their businesses, mm-hmm. right? Um, because there was mass foreclosures where so many people because of subprime loans and so that's all talked about in the big short and and those the documentary and the movie associated with that is the big short and then what's the documentary the big short is the movie and then the documentary is uh i think inside job so guys check out that movie and those documentaries really good movies are and and the documentary both of them are good both the movie and the 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 fact the true documentary but anyways so they were, you know, issuing subprime loans. There was a there was a housing collapse, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, whatever, right? And everybody, but because there was so many people that were defaulting on their mortgages, then the banks didn't have money, right? Because it all happened at the same time. So then, I, 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 right? I'm just gonna say some names. I don't know, right? But I'm using this as an example. So let's just say. Bear Stearns and JP Morgan Chase and, and all these banks, boom, they start falling one by one. I actually remember a line from that movie where I think the, the, the head of the treasury ended up telling George Bush, he says, if we don't, 
if we don't bail out the banks now, like planes are going to have to start landing right now because their insurance coverages on the plane was like not effective or like, like they couldn't fly or something like that. Like literally traffic is going to stop like right. Like the whole nation is going to stop. Like if you don't bail them out. So the banks failed. What's crazy is, and they speak about this in the documentary, they bailed the banks out for, you know, a hundred pennies on the dollar, which means they bailed them completely out. They didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't basically say, Hey, look, all these, all these money that you owe or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll give you 60 cents for every dollar that you owe or whatever, you know, which supposedly according to the documentary, they very well could have done, but they bailed them out. And the way that they bailed them out was with taxpayers money, right? Cause where do governments get money from, from taxpayers? Um, and the irony of it, bro, is that the banks were able to continue doing business as usual and the people lost businesses, homes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the crazy thing about that. Now, fast forward now, since then, with the pandemic relief fund, with this, uh, all the money that we've been printing and everything that we've been doing and all this stuff, bro, the fact that b during the pandemic, we halted the economy, our gross domestic product just, you know, and our economy just did really bad and stuff. And now maybe it didn't do as bad as it could have done because of the stimulus packages, right? The unemployment and this and that and that and this. But the thing about those stimulus packages is in order to dish out those stimulus packages, we had to do another quantity. What do they call it? They call it quantitative easing with basically when they start printing money because we don't have those reserves. We've been mm -hmm. off of the gold standard since the 1970s officially and maybe the 1930s, you know, arguably. But so we just printed out of thin air based on the trust of the United States that we're going to give. But the thing is, who has to pay that back? The American people have to pay that back. But the thing is, we don't understand money. We don't understand how we're going to pay it back. So the way that we're going to pay it back, I think we're seeing it before our eyes. This Inflation Reduction Act that's, Reduction Act that's talking about climate change and stuff like that, bro, I think it's a, it's a smoke screen, bro. I, I mean, you know, like $300 billion of it was for climate, right? Then $80 billion or $90 billion or whatever was the IRS. And I think it's, I think now I'm just, I'm just speaking on, on opinion and what I think. And, and I could support it with certain things that are coming on. Like, Hey, look, exhibit a, this is why I think this and that, but, but just to be straightforward and rang and just to come out with it on what I think, I think the whole climate thing, bro, is basically more of a smoke screen to control what you do. Corporations and individuals to control what you do so that I can further tax you. Right. So corporations, they've already started, started it, I believe. It's uh, like that through the EPA, the energy uh, or what is it? Um, energy something administration for the government. So I think you, you're going on a good subject right there because technically each state already does it. Every time you go and get your inspection sticker, there's an air, there's a, an emissions test that they do on your exhaust system. Oh man, I'm, 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 I'm leaning out of the camera. So if all the, the federal government needs to do is just implement another set of tax in that inspection, right? For instance, if there's a section on there that's supposed to assist in driving the individual to go green, right? That's just the subject heading, right? To drive to go green. 
if somebody charges me $500 because I drive a gas vehicle, that's going to make me start thinking about buying a Tesla. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right that's gonna make me second guess my next purchase right my vehicle so they've already established the infrastructure and it's the parameters there. to start doing those things it's yes there. it's there it's there that's one thing you know and and that, that's just one of example of a, a multitude of things they could do it at corporations for emissions especially yeah. fossil fuel corporations um you know, they could do it for businesses, maybe who, I don't know, waste too much light or don't get solar panels. I mean, they could do it to homes. Maybe if, uh, if, you, if you, you know, have too many trees or maybe they could tax you, uh, you know, ba based on how many adults are in the, in, the, in the household. You have two adults. You can only have two vehicles, you know, but what if you have some teens and you have four? Like, I, I don't know all the things that they can do, right? But who knows? Like, they passed that into law. There's $300 billion that's reserved for that particular reason. Who knows what they're going to do now if you look at what's being discussed on 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 world stages like the world economic um, economic forum and uh the united nations and those meetings that they're having and the g20 summits and all these things and meetings that these global leaders are talking about the world health organization all that they're all talking about those things bro like agenda 2030 and they have all these agendas and they have all these goals that's basically pursuing the same thing which is that Climate reduction and stuff, but the thing is, how do you do that? But anyways, another one, um, another way that I feel like they're gonna get this money back is boom, the IRS, the eighty billion that's delegated to that to increasing the IRS agents so that they can increase the audits. That's how they're gonna they're gonna start pinching middle class Americans, and they're gonna try to pinch every single penny that they can get out of us in order to pay back this huge loan that they've made to themselves via these pandemic reliefs and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you touched up on it as well that when we bailed out the banks back in two thousand eight, and when we bailed out the whole world, we technically bailed them out because we were already in debt to them. So now we just kind of put ourselves in a bigger debt and with more fake money that we're printing, right? Because there's no trust behind it. There's nothing to back up the dollar anymore. The amount of gold that we have doesn't even, it's not even worth the amount of dollars that we have currently circulating in our system right now. We haven't been going off of gold for the, for the longest. <laughs> Do you know what we're going off of? Trust at this point. So, so, <laughs> Faith, so hope dreams. So check it out. I, it, I believe it was in the Nixon administration. And they actually have like video clips of the actual day and the newscast that he came on and he told all of America. But basically in, in like 1970, he officially removed the United States from the gold standard. Because at this point, what nations could do is if they held American dollars, they could send those American dollars in and they can pull out gold. But what happened was it was a couple of things. One. If you have a certain fixed supply of gold, then you can only print out as much money mm -hmm. as you have in gold, right? So that creates a problem for the government if they want to print more money or make more money, right? There's that thing. Then if other countries have, our, have money and they want to exchange it for gold, well, then they could withdraw our gold. So those are for, so for a couple of reasons. Now, I don't understand... 
the economics that goes deeper into that, right? You know, I don't know if the Federal Reserve chairman at that time was saying, look, we need to print more money because uh, the economy is constricted because there's this limited supply of actual dollar notes that are in the economy. And in order to stimulate lending and borrowing and stuff, we need to print so much more money. You know, we need to do a, a quantitative easing and stuff. That's going to stimulate lending from banks, right? Because we send them the money. They have more money in reserve, so then they can lend more, lend more, boost the economy, right? All that stuff is... I assume it's something like that, generally speaking. But getting down to the to the to the nitty and gritty of it, man, it's 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 something else, you know. But, anyways, the point is, he did it. He disattached the United States from the gold standard. Countries can no longer pull their money in gold because he he basically told them the nation. And we're a superpower, so what can they do? He basically, you know, flicked the finger off to the whole world and say you ain't getting gold no more, and that's it, right? But what did happen at that same time, bro? So this is now what what money has been fixed on to this point, whether you believe it or, believe it or not. And it's spoken about actually in another documentary, guys, if you guys want to watch this documentary, it's super interesting. It's all about money, this particular documentary that I'm going to mention, but it's called Zeitgeist, Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T, Zeitgeist. But anyways, so moving on. I think it was in 1973, so around the same time, they made a, uh, a treaty with Saudi Arabia that in exchange for Saudi Arabia trading all their oil in American dollars, right, they would, it was like a partnership, a pact, a treaty, the, they would gain American support and protection and all of that stuff. So ever since then, bro, Saudi Arabia has only traded their oil in American dollars. Now, that doesn't mean that China or Russia or somebody can't purchase oil in their own currency but what they have to do this is the way it happens i mean essentially they can't you gotta go to if they the don't country. have american dollars yeah exactly <laughs> yes that's essentially that's what happens so it's called an exchange rate yeah saudi arabia tells you hey well we have american dollars we'll take your money and we'll give essentially we'll give you the the equivalent of that mm -hmm. american dollars with a surcharge for doing the exchange rate right it's called an exchange so you got to pay more it's like a tax right yeah so basically that gave the the american dollar uh world reserve currency status to all countries right if they wanted oil the second thing is we're a superpower so we can we can basically say hey look we got money and 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 this is what we're going to do. And you're not going to do anything about it. One, because we have the biggest oil exporter in the world backing us up. And for two, because we're a superpower. So they've made agreements with nations all over the world in exchange for protection. And we'll put our military there. We'll help you out with this and that. And obviously, we've always had enemies and stuff like that. But basically, that is what has given the American dollar strength. Now, fast forward to now, what's happening is now China has come in and they've announced that they're going to create their own reserve currency and they've actually attempted and i don't think i don't know if it's actually happened or not but in talks with saudi arabia to allow saudi arabia to accept the one for oil and when and when the whole thing happened with russia and ukraine that america cut them off and cut them off of the swift system and stuff like that so that you know countries in all of uh, europe weren't accepting the russian ruble and and all this stuff weren't doing trade with them all that did was send russia over there to to hug up with china and now, you know, they're doing their own cooperation and their own agreement and stuff like that. And I mean, it, it really kind of backfired on us in the sense that, you know, Russia yeah, was China like. and Russia is it's pretty much the whole European continent right there. Yeah. They're, t they're two. It's <laughs> pretty much it. I mean, who are the superpowers of the world? I mean, China. Russia, Russia and us, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, who else? That's what I'd say. Britain, maybe. 
But another thing to go on uh, what you're discussing about, have you ever seen what Iraq looked like back in the 80s? It was desert. You know what it looks like now? It looks like Las Vegas. You just see nothing but skyscrapers out there now. In Iraq? Yeah. Like, I think it was like in Dubai, Saudi Arabia. One of the, one of the crazy, it was a video on YouTube and on Facebook. It was like one of those reels. So they showed you a clip of what Dubai or Saudi Arabia used to look like in the 80s. It was like one street. Dubai is in the United Arab Emirates. It was like one street and it was just nothing but desert. And then it went to today and it looks like Las Vegas. I think you're talking about you just see like skyscrapers. Yeah, you're probably talking about Dubai. It was just ridiculous. And I'm like, how did it transition from from where it was back in the late 80s to where it is now in just a short period of time? In just a short period of time. Like that to me, I was like, that didn't make much sense. Bro, because oil is black like they call it black gold for good reason. It's essentially what it is. I mean, look at all these countries. That's one of the things that made America powerful is, is we had so much gold because so much. I mean, but, but we had a lot. And so gold was flowing into our to our country. But imagine you can just dig down and there's a there's a, you know, a big old store storehouse of gold, you know, just underneath your feet. You know, that's that's basically the whole Middle East. Now, I think the reason that they haven't been you know, as economically successful as, say, America is because the one thing that they didn't have in conjunction to that was law and order in their societies. They had all these tribal warf- warfare and they had all this infighting amongst militia groups and different... I mean, it's still a civil war going on. It's, it it's still, still is crazy. But, you know, you gave the example of Dubai. Dubai, it's, it's like America in the Middle East. Maybe better, yeah, I've, I've heard. I would think it's better. Maybe better, I've heard, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's because they're... They don't have any of that going on. There isn't Taliban or ISIS in, in Dubai. You know, you go to Dubai and I mean, I mean you better have you're money. safe. You better have money. If you you're safe. Dubai, you know, sure. that like there's law and order, basically. Right. I mean, anything could happen, I suppose. But for the most part, there's law and order, you know, there, there's safety. And so that's why Dubai was able to accomplish what they did. You know, now, you know, on, on that note, talking about the Middle East, I don't know if you know this about Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein wanted to start selling his oil and gold instead of the American. So every see, it's it's just coincidence. Every leader who has tried to to circumvent having to use the American dollar to trade their oil has just been eradicated, bro. <laughs> Another one was Gaddafi. Omar Gaddafi. And, are, you, are you getting at something? Huh? You might but it's real. I mean, it's I'm, I'm I'm I mean, I guess you could say I'm getting at a conspiracy theory that we've tried to retain our power by doing, um, you know, basically declaring war on countries and, and creating these narratives that are completely untrue in order to do something that we've wanted to do under the guise of of morality. Right. Like Omar yeah. Gaddafi. Oh, he was doing war crimes against his people. No, he wanted to create a common gold. Uh, currency amongst the African nations and he wanted to trade his oil and gold. So Saddam Hussein, the same thing, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. Was there any weapons of mass destruction? No. What threat did he pose to the United States? You know, the 9-11 people weren't from Iraq. Mm-hmm. They're from Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia is an American ally. You know, so I don't know if you saw seen Oliver Stone's documentary on the whole Iraqi invasion. It, it, it was just a mess. It was a mess. And so, I mean, all I'm saying is when you f- just follow logic 
and you get you you know after CNN gives their news announcements of uh, and they get you all emotionally high weapons of mass destruction and Omar Gaddafi war crimes and and Syria war crimes and the people the once you get past all that and time passes. See, because the news, they surprise you with the news. Man, it just happened all of a sudden, man, we're invading Iraq. It's, it's too, it happens too quick to process, bro, you know? But time passes and the news thinks that most people forget. Most Americans forget, bro. We don't have time to be on top of that stuff, dude. I got to go to work and I have 550 kids and, you know, and two car payments and one mortgage. And it's, I don't got time to be worrying about what's going on in Iraq 10 years later. But for the people that do, and they follow up and they're like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. We never found the WMDs. The the people weren't from Saudi Arabia and we ended up never making a connection to to the 9/11 thing. We're still there. 6 years later, it's not like after the mess up we were like uh yeah guys, we, we messed up. Let's just yeah. let's yeah. just pull on out. No. No, we we stay there for a decade, bro, you know? It just doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. So, yeah, there's people that are free thinkers and they create these ideas of what could potentially happen based on facts that they're piecing together. They come to a conclusion. They're like, like, hey, look, exhibit A, exhibit B, C, D, E, and F, all these putting together. It seems to create a picture that this could possibly be. I'm, I'm going to draw a hypothesis and a conclusion based on these facts that this is probably why they did it. This is the only mm. thing that makes sense. Dude, and... I just took my family out on vacation. Yeah, you know what? Let me ago. let me fix this real quick. And one of the things that amazed me was the fact that I knew I was on a roller coaster ride, but my mind percepted it as reality, and I was like, it, it kind of was an epiphany. I was like, I was like, dang! I was like, how lights, sound effects, yeah, can trick me into thinking that this is reality. Dude, the same thing goes for all types of media outlets. They give you what you want, what they want to be perceived. And then you're going to come to a conclusion that they wanted you to conclude. And it's not till later down the road when they reveal, you know, the, the truth behind it. And you're like, oh, you know what? Now it's obvious. Yeah. And it's like, and at that point, it's already too late. Yeah. I mean, bro, that's the way we're instinctually made. Right. Yeah, you believe what you see. Well, OK, I, I don't know where I, I read this, but it was talking about deer. Right. And it was talking about these people that were observing. I don't know. Gazelle. Right. A freaking flock of this gazelle. I don't know if that's the proper word. Flock. Herd. <laughs> herd. <laughs> the They're not birds, the bro. <laughs> <laughs> so a herd. And I guess at one point they used to think that there's a strong dominant, you know, like male or leader of the herd. But what they ended up doing upon observation was that when the majority of the deer kind of sense the same thing and move in one particular direction, that's what guides the pack. So it's this kind of psychology of consensus, like based on the consensus or the majority consensus of the people in the group, this is what they do. Now, these are animals, of course. They don't have the potential for conversation you know uh advanced manipulation and deception and sci psychological tactics and all that stuff it's just hey man i hear a lion and it's as simple as that we're moving this way we're moving away from the danger simple as that now i believe instinctually that's the way we are bio biologically wired too i'm i've been in sales my whole life and that's actually what it's called it's called there's there's like there's a couple of psychologies of sales which is 
you know, there's a psychology of reciprocity, which is if I give you a mint, you feel an obligation to reciprocate what I just gave you. Um, there's a psychology of consensus. So I tell you, hey, man, Kane, are you going to get a, a solar panel system, for example? Nah, man, I don't know. Man, everybody's doing it. All your neighbors got it, you know, like everybody's getting with the program, but you, and that's because they all see the benefit of it. Like, why aren't you? That's the psychology of consensus. So when we hear the news and stuff like that, and everybody again is watching the same news station, we, we automatically, our default mode is we believe it, right? Because why would they lie to us? Why do they lie to us? We actually have to really dig deep within ourselves and we got to turn on the other faculties of our mind and our brain. And we need to start you know, uh, as the Bible says, um, rightly dividing the truth. You know what I mean? We have to do that within our own minds. And then we got to come to a conclusion and be like, man, this just doesn't add up, man. These guys, these guys are blowing smoke, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's unfortunate that we live in this day and age, but I, I really can't think, I mean, for the most part, mainstream news and media is it's I compromised. Think, I think there's a lot of smoke going on right now, especially with the whole surrounding uh, the Trump investigation. Every single day, they're giving you more updates in regards to the October scheduling for that uh, trial. And it's happening at the same time that this Inflation Reduction Act is kind of coming into play. And whenever two things always call you know, are colliding at the same time, it's usually for a given reason. So that way you can concentrate on the more mainstream subject, which in this case would be the Trump investigation that everybody's going to be probably watching come October. Yeah, and like with Amber Heard. Yeah. Like whether, so there was two things that happened when Amber Heard was happening. While Amber Heard was happening, um, Klaus was Schwab mm -hmm. gave his announcement at the World Economic Forum saying how he needed to just usher in this new way of doing things and all this stuff. I mean, the videos up on anybody could watch it. Klaus Schwab, look him up, World Economic Forum 2022 or whatever. Um, and then another thing that happened around that same time was, uh, oh, the Wade. they they no that well that happened a little bit afterwards what i was going to say was they lowered the sentence of uh Ghislaine maxwell from 60 years to 20 years you know and they still they still haven't released the client list yeah which again that kind of that kind of that kind of you know circles back to the whole whole fbi what the heck is going on mm -hmm. you're rating the ex trump trump uh, the ex president his mar-a-lago and his safe to look for something documents. that he may have done criminal right so supposedly he might have taken some 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 documents from the white house that were classified or whatever you know um or maybe something that connected him to the whole january 6th thing and, and whatever but to me it just it seems like such a double standard like just looking at the transparency it looks crazy you have congresswomen like um um what's the i think her name is uh maxine waters Maxine Waters was blatantly saying on public TV that anybody who sees a Republican or or a conservative or whatever that they need a they need to shout them out of the restaurants and basically calling for violence and stuff like that. And then, you know, I ain't gonna say that Trump did the same thing, but they're accusing him of doing the same thing. But yet, this is this is there's no reprimand for these individuals, but there's this type of reprimand for Trump. And then also you talk about you know the FBI doing that thing and all the stuff that the FBI has. And, and a matter of fact, I think uh, Hillary Clinton is actually making shirts of it too. But the emails, like supposedly her website actually has like a hat or a shirt that says "But the emails" or whatever, because that's what everybody always comes back with. But my gosh, it's true. They subpoenaed her laptop. She burns it, 
and there's no legal recourse for doing what she did. You know, and that's just a list of a number of things, bro. When the whole Haiti thing happened, they funneled millions and millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation. Um, And then, um, you know, Hunter and the whole thing with Burisma and, you know, getting the attorney general of Ukraine fired and, you know, getting the $80,000 a month for being on the board of Burisma and how that's connected. And then in his laptop and his emails, he's referring to to, uh, you know, supposedly referring to um, the big Biden as the big guy, you know, and so all these things are happening and they have all that information and they have the Anthony Weiner laptop and they have Hunter's laptop and they have all this information. They have the client list of Epstein and they have all that. And what? What has become of all of that? I know what we, what we discussed last time on the previous um episode was that some of the royal family was even on that list right and we haven't even heard of that's her prince andrew we haven't even heard of anything from the royal family lately i think the queen was supposed to have her jubilee this year i, I didn't even watch it i mean i don't watch you know i don't keep up with what's going on over there but as far as i know it's been quiet yeah right? where's the reprimands with all those clients Right, that are on that list. Is the investigation still not over? Right? Why conceal it? Right? There's got to be a reason why behind it. You know, it seems to me that it, it looks as if the FBI is compromised at the highest level as far as who's calling the shots there, who's saying what we're going to do and what direction we're going to go and this and that. Um, but... You know, there's the, the historically the FBI just hasn't had the cleanest slate ever. Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, I don't think anything that so, the FBI's track record has ever been clean. You know what I mean? So, I mean, supposedly, you know, they were they were tapping the phones of Martin Luther King Jr. and they were watching him. There was a lot of things that he were doing that there was going on there before he was assassinated. Um, if you've seen the latest uh, documentary again about by oliver stone about jfk reloaded or something like that about the jfk assessment man they got a lot of new evidence on that and that talks about how there was um the secret service fbi um and uh the cia it was the warren commission it was like one of the head guys of the cia was sitting on the warren commission now mind you all of this stuff so you know we're talking about the 60s era right all the 60s era this came after world war ii it was after World War II that, that, the, that these intelligence agencies, whether it be the FBI, CIA, or what have you, bro, they just, they just got like a, a steroid injection. And they just, it seems to me, in my humble opinion, that they went off the, the rails, bro. You know, this is where they started doing all those, um, many of the documents which were destroyed, provably they were destroyed, all the documentation concerning like MKUltra program. Right. So they did the MK Ultra. There was Operation Piperclip, which was basically smuggling of Nazi scientists from 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 Germany to the United States without the Russians knowing about it. You know, that's where Eric, uh, I think his name was Eric Traub. He was one of the Nazi scientists. They made him assistant director for the Center of Animal Disease Control. So they bring him over here. They give the guy a job so that he can continue doing the biological uh, experiments. Um, basically, that's what he was doing in Germany, trying to learn how to basically, I guess, inject a, a, a virus or a bacteria into like a bug, like a flea or something that you can then drop on, on troops and, and infect them all, which coincidentally 
50 miles from there off of Plum Island, which is where he was headquartered, is where the first outbreak of Lyme disease happened. I don't know if you know that. No. All these little coincidences, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, I could talk about a lot of things. I could talk about Operation Mockingbird, and there's a lot of operation. Just look up declassified operations on Google for yourself, guys, whoever's listening. But the whole point is that, again, they don't have a clean slate. And who knows who these calling these shots at the highest level. And when you hear about these these... These people in government, these Congress members and all this stuff, when they get in there, bro, there's, oh man, it's crazy. You, you start rubbing shoulders with people like the, the George Soros's of the world and the Henry Kissinger's and the people that, you know, the Bill Gates's, bro, that just have billions and billions of dollars, Too man. And so let's just, let's just hypothesize. The name of this podcast, again, is Theoretically Speaking. So let's just go into some Theoretically Speaking, bro. You go into government, you're a congressperson, senator, what have you, right? And you're getting your salary, you know, plus free flights and stuff like that is, I don't know, 150000 a year. Some some slow, yeah, right. some very low six-figure number. And then a billionaire, you go to some parties and you're having champagne and wine and billionaires are there. And somehow, you know, it's like, hey, this is what we're going to do and you're going to get paid, man. And they basically tell you, look, you're not going to change the world. You're not going to change us. You're not going to change this. This is how deep it is. And, you know, basically do your time and, and get out of here a millionaire. Or, you know, you're going to have to go again. I don't know how it happens. I, I, I don't know how it happens. I actually heard somebody giving a little bit of insight onto how it happens. So she was um this girl who I was listening speak on another podcast. She was a uh, an advisor to the president. Right. And so they were asking this Congress member, hey, you know, they should put a they were talking about term limits. So they're like, there should be term limits on these people. And she goes, you don't understand the depth of the problem. She says you could put a term limit. And she says it could actually work on the negative, because when you first go into Congress, you're kind of learning the ropes. You don't know really too much what to do. Finally, when you figure it out, if you're there's a term limit, you're back out. <laughs> you know, that's one thing. The other thing is all these people have advisors that are advising them. Right. Whether it's the president. So you have advisors that have worked for one president, the next person, the next person. So really, they don't have to get to the president. They could just get to the advisor. Right. And that's just talking about how it goes as it pertains to Congress and the president. Right. They have their little advisors. That's not even talking about the State Department, you know, because FBI doesn't have terms. CIA doesn't have terms. No. You know, I don't I don't know anything. Anybody ever talks about the NSA. I don't I don't know. I don't know. They, I know they exist, but I don't DEA, know what kind of NSA. Yeah. De Department of Defense, the, the state, the state department, all these people that are working in these departments, they're not elected officials. The Pentagon, the Pentagon. <laughs> no, they're, they're they know more than the president. Some of these individuals of these departments that you just mentioned know more than the president. And they'll just straight up tell Absolutely, them. they do. They'll just straight up tell them, all right, you're not classified to know this information. Yeah, they're, 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 they're haughty. Like, look at, look for, I already used this example, so I'll go back to it. The guy that was the head of the Warren Commission, who was the head of the CIA during the whole JFK thing. Um, I forgot what his, what his name is, but you could, you could Google him. Dudley Dooley, and I forgot what it was. Anyways, that guy was head of CIA for like 20 years. You know? So imagine you're that. And you know everything that you know, right? Your CIA. And then some president comes in wanting to change the world with a little four-year term. Maybe he wants to, maybe he wants to 
defund the CIA, right? Maybe he wants to lower funding to the CIA. Maybe he wants to stop some operations that are going on in some that maybe that the American people don't know about, but he knows about, you know, maybe we're over there doodling a little bit too much with Venezuela than we should be or some nation in Africa or maybe Asia or whatever. Who knows what we're doing? And he says, you know what? He comes in America first. We're going to bring them all back home. We need to stop intervening in all these countries. And this mission has been going on for so many years. And then not only that mission, but you have so many people that are working in those areas that have those jobs. So the defunding of that means you're going to have to actually release a certain amount of agents and stuff. And these people that have been working there for you, all of them are going to unite to prevent that from happening. That's actually talking about it. And I wasn't even thinking about it. That's actually one thing that Kennedy wanted to do. He wanted to uh, he wanted to 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 lower and restrict the CIA because he was angry that they misadvised him as it pertained to the Bay of Pigs with Cuba. I don't know if you know that or not, bro. So he was very angry about that. And it was the the CIA and these others who advised him on that. But they actually did it intentionally. It's a long story. Again, you should watch the documentary by Oliver Stone. Great documentary. I hope I get some money from Oliver Stone for talking about his documentary sponsoring. Thank you. Um, but yeah, bro. And coincidentally, no, no, assassinated. I know, I know he was big on you know making sure that these social elites, these secret government agencies, particularly, he was referencing back to the FBI and CIA as far as letting them know it's like, hey, what you're doing in the dark, right? It's gonna come out in the light, right? Even if it's biblically, it that's a biblical reference. So what? Of course, if somebody's in charge and somebody just called you out and you don't want to lose your power, of course, you're going to make that person go silent. Yeah. Right. And there's, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover, I think he was the one that was in charge of the FBI at the time. He was the one that was pretty much, you know, uh, I think Leonardo DiCaprio plays him in one of the movies and there's theories right on what happened with him martin luther king and jfk right on, on the the events that happened were linked to the fbi and of course there's no concrete facts that it were ever revealed to back it up but we all know what happened yeah and we still don't do anything about it i mean we you just, just let it slide you just think we do we, we just let it slide we're like Ugh. you know he, he he just killed one of the best presidents Ugh. we can't we can't prove it no okay well because i think you know i don't know if you've heard of the term cognitive cognitive dissonance but basically it's the concept of i can't believe it i won't believe it so you tell me something outlandish Mm-hmm. something crazy be it true or not and i'm so my worldview is just thrown upside down minded people man small minded people but ah man bro you know you put yourself back in 1960 you know these are people that maybe if they were teenagers during world war ii then they're adults during 1960 they're 40 year olds let's say These are people that remember how the United States pulled together to get not only our country, but the world out of a big problem that was happening at that time. Think about how much patriotism and faith and confidence you have in your country at this point to be able to you submit the 
notion to them that there may be an inside job that just assassinated their president, one of the greatest presidents you think can't be. So happened in North Korea or Africa or, you know, somewhere else. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen in the United States of America. Definitely. Not here. You know, I mean, to this day, bro, I, I there's some things that I hear and I'm like, man, I can't believe it. I know there's bad actors out there. But I also know that, man, bro, there's something about about the United States that I feel like there has to be moral people in certain places that are going to whistleblow this stuff. Like they can't get away with it. Mm-hmm. At some point they'd get caught. But no, they do. They get away with it. And and matter of fact, during the whole JFK thing, there was actually, uh, I believe it was a, a Secret Service member or somebody who was actually incarcerated. And I think, I, 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 I don't remember because the documentary, right, it's been a little while, but basically I remember the implication of what was being said was this guy could have been a whistleblower um, because of the fact. And so what they did was they, they silenced him by, by incarcerating him. I don't, and I think they, it, it, there was also something on him too, like some type of gag order or something like that where, so. Don't be next. Bro, to live is for the Lord and to die is gain, bro. I like it. Glory in the next life. Anyways, moving on. Guys, so you know what? Let's talk about, let's, let's move on to some more happy, happy topics and stuff, man, because this is so sad dark what what can what can we do about this Kane? you know what look first of all you've spoken a lot about things and unfortunately this is the second time that Kane Kane has been on here with me guys but because again we're kind of learning the whole video thing i didn't visually record the first one but tell them just real briefly what it is you do you didn't uh you didn't apply the the handsome filter on me right that's another thing that you got to update is your filters Make sure that it takes off like 10 pounds, right? So go home, do some video editing, right? Figure out how to do that stuff. If you can, you know, put Leonardo DiCaprio's head right where my head is, right? That would be great. Uh, But a little bit about myself. So what I primarily do right now is work in the Medicare field. Right. Just like I had announced earlier when we were discussing about the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, I help out uh, the individuals who have Medicare sign up for different insurance plans, primarily the Medicare Advantage. That's what I specialize in helping them enroll in what's called these Part C Medicare Advantage plans uh, helps them out with getting, you know, services that aren't covered by original Medicare. Yeah. Like dental, vision, transportation, over the counter is a big one. Right now, a lot of these um, private insurance companies are coming out with similar to the food stamps benefits Mm -hmm. where they'll give uh, certain individuals who are meeting those poverty levels they'll help them out with some additional uh you know insurance uh credits as far as going to their local grocery stores primarily walmart purchasing you know uh perishable food items that they can utilize right for whether it be for themselves their family members uh the pandemic pretty much caused that concern right because there was a lot of individuals that were not able to get the nutrition that they needed from their food so 
these insurance companies started looking into it and that's where they started implementing those benefits in their packages uh, for these representatives. So that's one thing that I do um, as well as uh, helping out in the community with the association STAHU. That uh, stands for the South Texas Association for Human Underwriters. Right now, we're having a huge summit at the South Padre Island, September 8th, September 9th. So if you guys want to go, uh, send me a message, right? So I can send you the information on how to enroll. So that way you can get a feel of the different uh, insurance options that are available in your area, right? As well, if you're interested in joining Stahu, right? That's one thing that I can help you out with. Or maybe if you're just interested in getting into the insurance field. I know that's a huge market right now that's uh, I want to say it's been going up since the Obama administration after the uh, Affordable Care Act I want to say that there's been a huge momentum with going into the insurance field because people want to get a better understanding of what the Affordable Care Act is right how it affects and impacts each and every single one of us so I've encouraged everybody, right, if you have some time, right, look into getting licensed yourselves, right, to, to sell insurance. Because it's one thing that I want to say a lot of people always typically have this stigma of, well, I'll, need, I'll use it when I need it, right? And at that time, sometimes it's too late. So you're talking about insurance, yeah, not insurance license. Yeah, exactly. Or to just get licensed in general. So that way you can get a sense of what insurance is, right? Because a lot of people start to think, especially when it comes to life insurance, is they're like, oh, that's something that I need when I'm older, right? They don't understand the, the negative behind having that small minded thinking, right? I know this a group of individuals, a family, right? During the pandemic, they lost 11 family members, right? And if you think about it, the average cost of a funeral is like about 14,000. Now 14,000 times 11. I'll just bury them in my backyard. <laughs> That's illegal. You can't even do that. You can't even do that. Nah, nah. You can't even do that anymore. That was a dumb joke. Right? I'm just playing big. <laughs> my wife's not watching. That was dumb. But you know what? Look, from a consumer perspective, this is why I think a lot of people don't want to hear it. For one, it's a sad topic. Yeah. So if you learn about sales, and, and there's a little bit of this in the solar panel industry too. I'm not selling you a Corvette. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no glory, there's no there's no glossiness, there's no there's nothing pretty about getting a freaking solar panel system except the fact that people may be excited to save money and something they may experience while they're alive. When Absolutely. you're talking about uh, pre-needs and death and funeral expenses and life insurance be if you might die and all that stuff for one that's hard for two mm -hmm. again from a consumer perspective insurance people just always make it complicated right off the bat because they come out with this so much information and yeah. i feel like you got you literally got to give people a bite-sized thing of why now look let me give you an example again from a consumer perspective so i don't know what protocols or what they teach you right but if it's me and let's say it's life insurance, it's just, it's this simple. 
Hey, bro, are you a family man? Yes, I'm a family man. I got I got my wife and kids. Hey, look, man, I know you're young. You're probably gonna die, not going to die anytime soon, but this is why I think ISO Life Insurance this is why I think you should get it now. The reason you should get it now is because you're gonna it's going to be a lot cheaper for you now, right, than when you're older because you have a greater chance of dying when you're older. So it's going to be a lot more expensive later, and you're not going to get as much coverage. Right now, it's going to be super cheap, nothing out of pocket. It's the it's the cost of uh, one, one uh, trip to Chick-fil-A a month, you know, and you're going to be covered for, you know, $100,000, both you and your wife and all your kids. That simple. Yeah, but it's never that simple. I mean, it's not right. just that simple, but you allow them to ask the follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, I don't know what you know. I can, only, I can only digest a certain amount of information at a time. So you say that, and then, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard that sales, but you just stop talking and just look at them. <laughs> 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 yeah you, you kind of i mean yeah you, you you start off like that right you you let them know the benefits of getting it at a younger age right but that's the mindset again we we've been kind of circling around back to this subject that right now a lot of us especially the youth we have such closed mindsets that when somebody comes up to us and tells them hey you know what i got a great deal for you to make extra money there's this there's this app it's called cash app but inside of it, there's a Bitcoin opportunity for you to go in there, purchase Bitcoin. Dude, Bitcoin is blowing up, right? You can easily triple your money into it, right? So people start hearing that and they start investing into Bitcoin. It's the same thing with life insurance. You can invest in your life insurance so that way you can pull money out to it, but it doesn't sound so nice. Yeah. Right? And so it, that's that kind of closed-mindedness that, with the life insurance, oh no, that's only if I'm old. It's only if I'm old well, and it doesn't, sick and I'm gonna die, right? That's where that mindset comes in as compared to something flashy like Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, it's not as flashy because the potential percent yeah. returns aren't near, right? So with life insurance, it's, but what it's, is it? Eight to 9% or whatever The average. thing that I tell people is like, look, when you invest into to the stock market, right? There's a chance that you might not even get any of your money back. You might just totally take a loss. But with life insurance, it's always set, right? Depending on right. which life insurance policy that you get, which company that you get, whether it it's low, like a minimum of index, 3%, right? maximum of like 12. And the average is usually like eight or nine. But at least there's a set Right. You know that once you put your money into it, your your money's safe. Your I mean, there. bro, from this perspective now, from what I understand, bro, that's a great percent return annually. And then compounded, you know, I think it was Albert Einstein that if we only knew the power of compound interest or whatever, what I don't know, something like that. One of those people. But compound interest, man, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you can, you know, put a little bit more into it over time. I think what you're particularly talking about, what's it called? I need, to I need to have my boy, another couple of my insurance friends up on the show, man. They talk about it. Well, it's it's tied to the index fund, but it's called something. Isn't it called like an individual? What's it called? That life insurance I mean, product. There, there's just so many. There's like individuals. But what do you sell? Level, you, do you sell gradients. life insurance? So I primarily, like I said, I work in the Medicare Advantage field. And because I work in the Medicare Advantage field, my population of clientele is in the elderlies, right? And they're usually fixed income, so they can't really afford life insurance. So I don't really do it. Like for me, I'll refer you to somebody else if you want life insurance. Tell them to sell their RV. Because I just personally don't. Old people have RVs. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
do you, do you do you know how many RVs are out there on the streets? I've only seen one today. I've only seen one today. It's not that many RVs. Anymore, yeah, and the gas increases—they had to sell those RVs already. Yeah, that was another dumb joke. But the reason I wanted you to tell everybody what you do so that they can maybe understand a little bit of like the the not a context to the perspective that you're bringing to the table, you know, based on that, and so. Based on everything that we talked about, based on the state of our world and economy, what's what do you what do you think? Well, what do you think? Thing. What do you think that, the common that, person should be doing right now? Right now, to prepare, they, sh- they need to be looking into the Inflation Reduction Act because a lot of that Inflation Reduction Act, at least one fifth of it, is going to be centered towards the Medicare recipients. Right now, whether it be good or bad, we need to keep track as far as what's being done to our Medicare, because guess what? When we get when we become Medicare age, if we don't fix what's going on right now, by the time that we become Medicare recipients, we're already going to be at the end of it. We're going to have we're going to be stuck in something that we could have resolved right now. But instead, we made it worse. Because I'll tell you what. See, now, now this goes back to the common person's thinking. I don't ever plan on getting on Medicare. I don't want to get on Medicare. I don't want to depend on the government for anything. I don't want to, de- I don't want to give them a 401k. I don't want to do a pension. I don't want Medicare, healthcare. I, I, me, I'm like anti-bureaucracy, man, and government control. I feel like everything that the government goes into, they mess it up. So that's just my perspective as far as that goes. So my... In my mind, what I want to do is I want to build enough wealth, whether it be rental properties or real estate or, or businesses or a mixture thereof, a portfolio in general, to where there's there's cont- continuously money coming in. Wherever anything happens, I could take care of it from, from, from there. Or maybe, if anything, a private insurance, you know? But that's me. Well, that's the thing. There's... You know, there's regulations that are in place right now that if you're Medicare age, right, if you deny your Medicare, you can't get a private insurance. That's what Obamacare did. So. Right? So there goes your. That's what Obamacare did. So there goes your solution behind that, right? You can't do it. You would have to pay out of pocket pretty much for all of your expenses. Yeah. You know how much an MRI costs? It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, it's a ridic, and that's the problem, bro. So this is the thing, this is the thing that the, that the common American faces. I hate how much this stuff costs. It's ridiculous. Like you just said, you go to the hospital and MRI, ridiculous. The, the cost of pharmaceutical drugs, ridiculous. Why is it that? Well, for the best I know, the reason it's like that is because me, the actual consumer, I am not the customer for these medical industries, whether it be um, the pharmaceutical companies or the companies that create um, this technology that gives you the MRI or the doctor's offices. I am not their customer. Their customer is basically the middleman, which is the insurance agencies, right? So the insurance agencies, they pay for this. For the for the for the pills, the, the drugs, the medicine, they pay for the MRIs, they pay for all of that, right? So if I complain about the cost, they don't hear it. I don't complain in their ear, and they don't they don't owe me anything because they don't care about me. What they care about is this this farm. I'm gonna submit this invoice to the farm, and they're gonna pay it. 
So we've created this middleman bureaucracy, which is basically the whole insurance industry, right? Now, I'm not against in, 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 against insurance per se. What I am against is the fact is that we've created this industry that incentivizes it, 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 or it doesn't incentivize, but it disincentivizes like free market capitalism type of thing. So it disincentivizes the, the ability for the customers to say, I'm not happy with this price. I'm not going to pay it. And then the person who's providing the service to say, okay, well, you know, forget you. And then all of a sudden they have nobody to sell to. So they're like, all right, maybe I should lower my prices a little bit. There's none of that going on between, between these industries right here because of the middleman, which is the, which is the insurance. And you know, Obamacare or, or the Affordable Care Act further exasperates that problem because now they make it a law that if you don't get what we tell you you're going to get, you're not going to get anything else. So now you're left between a rock and a hard place where like if I need medical treatment, I die or I do what they say, you know? I know when the Affordable Care Act was first being implemented and when it first came out, there was you know, uh, a certain individual who was in the healthcare market, I'm not going to say names, right, for the sake of privacy and stuff like that, but that individual, when he summarized what the Affordable Care Act was, he just told me, he was like, you know what, essentially, let the old die off, right? Because of the amount of regulations that were being put into it, uh, all these HMO plans pretty much started stemming from it. And not to say that nothing good came out of the Affordable Care Act, right? Because there were some good. For instance, a lot of fraud was being done during that time when the Affordable Care Act came into place. And that prevented it, right? Like the local doctor that's from here, right? There was, you know, diag misdiagnosis of children just for claims to be paid out in a certain specific amount was that the one who was misdiagnosing for cancer yeah yeah he was my grandfather's doctor so how did the affordable affordable care act so they started you know creating these hmos and these hmos pretty much make sure that whatever claims are being submitted there has to be clinical proof behind them Mm -hmm. So it lowered the chances of fraud being submitted from these providers. I know even the, the heart hospitals locally here in the Cameron County as well, following that doctor, they were under investigation for the exact same thing because they were wanting these certain individuals or certain patients to be enrolled in certain types of insurances. So that way there was never a cap. They didn't they don't like these HMOs, right, because it puts these types of restrictions on them when they start submitting these claims and these bills, because sadly to say the doctor can submit a bill to the insurance company for hundreds of dollars. Let's say just for example, you go in for an office visit. The doctor is going to charge two hundred dollars to the insurance. The insurance then is going to turn around and say, all right, charge me $500. I'm only going to give you 10. Mm -hmm. And you can't send the 490, whatever the remainder of it is. You can't send that to the member. You have to accept my $10 and that's it. So that's why some of these doctors don't even like it because they're getting paid pennies compared to what they're actually submitting in medical costs. But at the same time, why does 30 minutes of a doctor's time cost 
$500. You know what I mean? Some of yeah. these doctors do kind of take advantage of some of these some of these members. And right? why? Why is that? Like for, like, for example, in the case of this guy that was doing the cancer thing, real quick, why was he doing that? Misdiagnosing Greed? people with cancer. Greed? Well, okay, so, but specifically in detail because the diagnosis of the cancer made him prescribe a certain pill or a certain medicine to these individuals, right? Whether it was a chemo, chemo I mean, medicine. whatever the case may be. But whatever it was, he got a kickback from the pharmaceutical yeah. industry, right? I mean, possibly. Right? So, I'm not too entirely sure. So, possibly. I mean, what you're saying was, essentially what you're saying is the Affordable Care Act kind of helped with fraud that was going on. But the fraud began and was initiated because these doctors are incentivized monetarily that if they that if they diagnose enough people, they can make a whole lot of money. Bro, I mean, it's 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 so basically my, my whole point is that they're solving a problem that they themselves created is what I'm saying. What I don't understand and maybe hopefully <laughs> one of is, your watchers, right? How many people are watching right now? Hopefully one of them understands this question that I'm about to to ask is what I don't understand. What happened to our comments, man? Since we only live like about what, like 20, 15 miles away from the border? Yeah. Why is it that a medication that I pay here costs me $300, but when I cross those 15 miles... Right, it all of a sudden cost me sixty dollars because of insurance. I mean, they got insurance over there too. Do they insurance. have it like they do here? I mean, I don't know, but uh, they got insurance. Maybe it's not structured the way it is here, but it's still like it's the same medication. Uh, it's for me. It, the answer it's it more detailed than this, but it's also as general and simple as this. The reason I sell it to you for three hundred dollars. Is because you're gonna pay three hundred dollars. That's why. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. Does See, it? that's the problem when things there's not a free market I going mean, here. Well, if you put it like that, it kind of does make sense because I mean, the cost of living in Mexico sixty dollars is probably equivalent to three hundred to us. But look, since- but this is the point though. They're not gonna sell medication at a loss of money. Yeah. So let's just give an example. If it costs the pharmaceutical company $65 to manufacture and pay their workers and all, everything associated with the creation of that drug, if it costs them $65 per bottle, let's just both agree they're not going to sell it to you for 60 because they're not going to lose $5, yeah. right? So to some extent, there's some profit margins there. Now, if there's profit margins on a $60 bottle, guess what the problems, what, what the profit margins are on that same bottle being sold for $300, the same exact pill? Mm-hmm. So my point is that it's like, okay, oh, well, you know, they're more poor over there. So, you know, let's just make, uh, let's just make $58 profit off of them instead of, instead of 358. Doesn't even make any sense because if they're selling it over there for $60, then you know, it costs less to make. Right. But yet they're quadrupling their money over here. In what way do you think it doesn't make sense? Like ethically, ethically, yeah, it, doesn't ethically make sense. it doesn't make sense. Ethically, ethically, it doesn't make sense. Non-ethically, it makes all the sense in the world. This is what I corporations mean, yeah, do. Corporation mindset, of course. I'm, I'm gonna sell it to you for. This is corporations. I actually had a. I'm sell it to you for five hundred. I actually had another, another podcast with another friend of mine, and we were actually talking about the morality of corporations in general. And he was basically saying, "Yeah, 
for the most part, I think, you know, corporations are not really evil. They don't do any sketchy stuff. And I was telling them, man, that's, that's the worst thing. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's way off or whatever. I don't think I, I don't think I posted that video. But anyways, I mean, it's my mom and pops, maybe. Yeah, yeah, not small not small and pops, but I mean, when profit. you when you when you think about you know the Coca Colas and the Nestles and all that stuff, how they're literally tapping into aquifers that are supplying Nestle? whole whole re- Nestle 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 water. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're you know, and they're they're going to Brazil, and you know, the, these are poor countries. You know, talking about poor countries, talking about poor countries, and they're top, t- tapping into their water supplies just so they can sell them, sell it back to them in the form of a Coca Cola. Like, you know, you're talking about ethics. It's like, man, they're so. But my whole point is it, it's corporate ethics, bro. Like that's that's not the exception to the rule. That's the rule. If you're ethical, you are you are the exception to the rule. You know, you're talking about Kipper, man, this. It's crazy, bro. But look, so, I, I you know, I asked you what well, what I think you should do and about all this and everything that's going on. And you said, you know, look into um the Inflation Reduction Act, and I guess what you can do to start planning and making provisions as far as that goes. I think, I think that's good, but you know, for me, I don't I, like. I wouldn't even know where to start doing that. Looking in the so, so you see for, for so for me, my thing is look. I want to build two kinds of wealth. One of them is is attached to basically the mainstream in the American dollar. And one of them is not dependent on the American dollar, right? And what I mean by something that's attached is businesses, um, maybe real estate, right? Some because you got to pay property taxes and you got to buy it. You obviously, you got to purchase with money and a mortgage and loan and all that stuff. All that's attached to there. But when you do have that, then maybe you raise livestock on it and maybe you have chickens and you have, you have foods. And so you have a food source and you have a water source and maybe you can purchase some solar panels, cash or whatever. So you have now an energy source, right? So you have a food, a water and an energy source that are all, you know, no longer attached to the mainstream. I don't gotta, I'm not no longer having to exchange really dollars for what I have. It's like, I have chickens, they're laying eggs. I'm eating them. They're having more babies, laying more chicks. Like, you know, that's an example of, of both. And I feel like we, we, you know, if you can, you got to have to start planning on, on how to do both at the same time. And if you're, if you, now this is what I think you shouldn't be doing. If you're planning for business as usual to be going on in the, in the, in the country, in the, in the country, in the world, wherever, then I think that's what you should start thinking twice about. And that's when you should start, if you don't believe it, then you should start looking into it because, and what I mean by business as usual is let's say for say, for example, you have some mainstream job and you think, you know what, I'm planning on retiring from this job and, uh, you know, I'm going to build up a 401k just like everybody has done for the past few generations. And, you know, when I retire, I'm going to live off that 401k and everything's going to be fine. And, and, you know, and then I'll, I'll die when I'm old and that's about it. That's what I'm talking about because, you know, 401k is from, I think from what I remember, you could still be taxed. All of these th- things can still be taxed. And because of the inflationary rate, which how, how quickly the dollar is losing value by the time you're old and living off of that money, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be chicken feed to you at that time. You're going to live in a hut and you're going to be eating ramen soups all day, every day until you yeah. die. That's what's going to happen. And that's what I'm like concerned about too, is that if not a lot of individuals are aware of the type of changes that are going on right now, right? They're not going to be able to retire at the age of 65. I don't even think people are a retiring at the age of 65 right now due to the fact that they know 
if they were to retire, they wouldn't be able to survive off of the social security check that they get on a monthly basis after working all their lifetime, right? They still can't even survive off of the money that's being given back to them that was rightfully theirs to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe that's why the younger generation is, is so unwilling to work, you know, sometimes as the older generation says, you know, and Maybe it's because, you know, maybe in past previous generations, you saw a light that was more closer down the tunnel than we see now, you know, you know, back, you know, in 1980, man, matter of fact, I think they were talking about what, what, uh, I don't know what, like $2,000 could buy you back in 1980 or something. Yeah, it was like yeah, all this I stuff, I, I bro. I saw like a little clip. Yeah. It was like, like all was this like stuff, bro. Clip. Yeah. But back then you're like, all right, you know, I, I get, I get a job at walmart i don't know what corporations were back in 1980 you know so i was gonna say pizza maybe pizza wasn't around i don't know but you get a job at your local place and you see a light right you're like man i'll become a supervisor and you know i'll put myself through college college the cost of college supposedly has gone up something like a thousand percent the cost of college mm -hmm. so at this time let's put it all together right you hey i'm gonna work at the local fast food i'm gonna be going to college at the same time it's not that much money i'm gonna get my degree and my degree pays on average such and such i'm gonna build a great career and i'm, and I'm, I'm gonna do great now bro that light that's very near in that tunnel if you say okay if i pursue x y and z and i accomplish x y and z i'm gonna be pretty well off right now, look at us now. Do we think of that? We look, okay, I'm going to work at the local rest, um, let's say Waterberg, whatever, and I ain't going to make Jack. I'm not going to be able to buy Jack. No. I can't go to college at the same time because it's ridiculously expensive, and I'm not going to probably have time to do both. It's ridiculously expensive. When I graduate, I'm going to graduate with student loans in an excessive amount that's going to take me 25 years to freaking pay off. And because I'm paying off these student loans, and I don't know if the way that way student loan and credit works, but student loans is the worst thing to have on your credit. Like literally, you could get everything but student loans off of your credit if you're going to like a credit repair system and stuff, right? So until you pay that off, you know, mm -hmm. then and then now like the stock market and like CDs and all those, it's gone down to like one percent and stuff, like. And then inflation, oh my gosh, bro. Like you just look at the la the financial and economic landscape that you're dealing with and in, in, in looking about, hey, how's my life going to play out? And bro, it's disheartening, bro. It's discouraging. I don't, I can see how a young person would be like, oh man, let's, let's make a plan for the future. Let's write my goals down. And then like three goals down into the list, they're like, throw this freaking thing away and like, oh, man, and bust out the, the yeah, bust out the PlayStation 5 or whatever and like, fire it up, play their, their life away, you know, and why wouldn't they, you know, like, bro, for me, you know, personally, there's been some things that I've thought about, bro, it's not enough money, man. The, the couple of jobs that I've, I, I feel like I've been forced into entrepreneurship. You know, I taught myself how to build websites. I taught myself how to do marketing. I got my real estate license, you know, and all these things I've done is because I, I'm in that scenario, you know, from another per, uh, perspective, right? Because I'm 34. I'm not a 24 year old or a 22 year old person, right? I'm 34. But for that reason, it's like, man, unless I really get going, unless I really build some wealth for myself, I don't see, I don't see. I don't, I don't, I don't see my family living the American dream. Basically, it's that drive, though. That drive has a lot to say about you, right? As a person, as an individual, you can, you know, maybe pinpoint somebody from each decade and you know separate them from the masses, and you can see that 
their drive was what inspired them to make such a huge leap in their tax brackets, right? In this case or any situation that you may be able to put your mindset onto. It's and I just feel that right now as a society, there's not that drive, right? We don't have that passion to make sure that, you know, we're ahead of That's a good point. That we're ahead of the curve. Right. I don't know if, you know, it's this is something that's being encouraged or certain stereotypes. Right. But we know that there's specific ethnicities that have a stereotype of being the best at something. Right. There's certain ethnicities that you can say, oh, well, they're better at math than me because of their ethnicity. Oh, they're better at this because of me than because of this ethnicity. Right. We have become so accustomed to making excuses for ourselves that we don't even desire to break those types of excuses. And which, like I mentioned in the very beginning, these are generational poverty mindset curses that we kind of put and develop into our kids. Because if we don't break them, then we're just passing them down. That's true. There's a ton of different variables that's that's causing us to be passive and to lack ambition and stuff. I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Catalina of the American Mind. <clears throat> but uh, I don't know. Y'all could look that up. But it's a lot of things. Like you say, it's generational. We've been blessed. We don't have to really work hard for, for our food. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we don't have to, our life's not at risk. Our parents have taken care of us. Then on top of not only just taking care of us, they bought us a Nintendo. And, you know, and that's old. You know, now, now there's more, you know, PlayStation and Xbox and stuff like that. And I don't know if you've ever heard about all the things associated with that, like as far as the dopamine and stuff, it's this, it, it hijacks the pleasure reward system. So the reason that people don't have, the people that, in the days before television and video games and all of that stuff, there's, there's a whole pleasure reward system in your brain that pushes you to do things that are condu- conducive to your survival. So you work hard. You don't know when you're going to get a reward, and that's actually better, you not to know. You work hard, and when you persevere long enough, all of a sudden, you succeed. There's a breakthrough. You get the job you had been wanting. Uh, you learn the skill, you, 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 or you, you master the skill you had been looking for. There's, there's, there's an incentive at the end. When you get that long-term incentive, it's proven scientifically or whatever, biologically, that now that's where the pleasure reward system starts going back and forth. So you pursue it again. So there's long-term and short-term. An example of short-term would be when you eat or when you drink, right? Or sex, right? That's another thing, right? You're, you're hit with that dopamine, and, and it supports and encourages that particular act for your survival Mm -hmm. all of those things are for your survival but when you do something that's not natural like playing a video game or watching television and you're and you're dosed with that pleasure it disincentivizes you to do anything that you're going to have to work for why would you and so that's the generation that we live in we live in that generation you know and uh i know like a lot of people my age there they want one of the main things that used to be said out of their mouths were, oh, I wish I get, pay- I got paid to play video games. And then Twitch started. Yeah. Right? It was that mainstreaming of people playing video games. And if you subscribe, they got X amount of money. There's people who make, you know, six digit figures just by playing video games, making YouTube videos. Which is why, which is why I believe it, it's so important for you to have a spiritual 
what would you say a higher power a transcendent spiritual you know just be, believe in a spiritual nature to yourself do you know to believe in destiny to believe in creation the fact that you were created with a purpose with a destiny with an intention right because if you start to wrestle with that idea you know hopefully you get to the point where you where you're like man if i was created then what did i was i created for and if i was created for something that means i have a destiny i have a purpose and what is that purpose and maybe one out of a, of a few million or whatever their purpose maybe was to play video games right if you come to that conclusion fine but you know not everybody was right because that's a question that i ask myself and it's like that helps you to create <clears throat> parameters by which you can live your life and then form habits and disciplines right because you get to the point where you're playing video games a little while and then that conviction comes in it's like the reminder it's like you set the goal and then that goal is like this voice that talks to you or, or you know not on the wall but it, it's the conviction voice that tells you hey man you're playing too much that's not your purpose mm -hmm. it's not why you're here it's not why, what you're supposed to do you know and the thing that i see is that man i feel like i, I wasn't put here to accomplish any particular business or to get on the money or well i feel like i was here to change the world that's what i feel every human being is placed on this earth for is to change the world now the way that they're going to impact the world is different for everybody and that's what they have to figure out for themselves you know you could impact the world in a myriad out of ways both big and small i don't actually believe there is a small i believe it could be on a small small scale that has a big impact right like, well, you know, you know, Jesus or whatever. How many did he impact? 120, 12 disciples, 120 on the day of Pentecost or whatever, right? It was a handful of people, but that's an example of something that, that was just, you know, a pebble in the pond that just, you know, right. caused that ramification, you know. Right. And there's other examples. Martin Luther King Jr., one man, you know, impacted it. So, um, but anyways, my point is that if you don't have that spiritual about you, then you're lost, you know, you're lost. You're not going to, you're not going to establish those parameters rather for failure or for success. You're just going to be like a tumbleweed blowing in the freaking desert. I need to look up for the proper uh, terminology, but I think it's called failure to thrive, right? That's the actual, the medical term for it, for an individual who just does not exceed to certain standards and guidelines is the failure to thrive. And I think that's one of the things that as far as right now and our modern day kids, right, is that they don't have that, right? What their parents provide everything for them, like you say. Yeah. My daughter's 13 years old, has two iPhones. Yeah. That's unnecessary. Wow, it's crazy. Bro, do you know who Larry Elder is? Larry Elder was the guy who recently ran for the governor of California against Gavin Newsom, I think, or something like that. Man, I, I think he lost or whatever, but uh but okay. you don't know. He's he's a he's a pop he's a he's a popular, you know, um black individual that he um he conservative and stuff like that. Anyways, bro. Okay. Um, he tells a story about his dad. He has a book. It's called like Dear Son, Beloved Father, something like that. And he tells a story about his dad on how when he was like 15 or growing up, his dad spanked him a lot. Mm -hmm. And then he opened a restaurant. His dad ended up starting a restaurant. He had to work for the SOB in his own words. Right. <laughs> and his dad would yell at him a lot of times in front of the customers. And he said to himself, man, this guy yells at me one more time. I'm out of here, man. Forget this guy. Right. And sure enough. Right. It came to the point where he yelled at him from the customer. He said, man, I'm gone. 
and he left and never went back. Like, I guess he went to school and got his degree. And he even, he didn't talk to his dad for like 10, 12 years. And he told his mom, mom, I'm not going back to visit you unless dad's not there. And he would go back when his dad wasn't there. Anyways, long story short, he gets to a point where like, he says he can't sleep at night. It's bothering him and stuff. So he says, you know what, man, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to go to the restaurant. I'm going to give my dad a piece of my mind. I'm going to get it off my chest. He's going to tell me you're an ungrateful son. Forget you. We're going to go our separate ways. Boom. We'll bury it. That'll end. I'll get the closure, right? So he tells the story that he goes back, sees his dad, says, hey, dad, I have something to talk to you about. And, and his dad tells him, uh, well, well put, your, put your bags away or something like that. He says, no, 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 I, I, I'm not going to have to. I'm just going to be here a little while and then I'm going to leave, right? So he says, he's like, all right. So they sit down on the table, they start having a conversation and boom, he lets go on his dad. You were strict. You did this. You hit me. You embarrassed me that time that my cousin came down from Chicago, my girl cousin, blah, blah. You did yada, 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 yada. And his dad supposedly was like, that's it? That's it? And he goes, let me tell you about my childhood, right? So then his dad proceeds to tell him how he grew up, again, right? Black person in the Jim Crow South. His mother went through various different boyfriends. And the last name that he had wasn't even his, his biological name. It was just one of the last names that they got from one of the boyfriends that was coming through, right? It came to the point where I guess one of the boyfriends would, would, they would beat his mom regularly and he got in for his mom on one of the occasions and got in a fight with the boyfriend. The mom took the boyfriend's side, kicked the dad out, teenager. He was married like two times before this elder, Larry Elder's actual mom. He was married two times before that as a teenager. Um, And they both didn't work out. He ended up going to the military, right? And this is back when they were still kind of segregated in, in, uh, was it World War II? I think it was World War II. So they were still segregated, um, and he went into the Marines and was, like, in the hardest military. Then he got back, and they still wouldn't accept him in the South, right, as a black person. He couldn't get a job anywhere, so he ended up going out of California because he heard that you can, that they accepted, right, blacks or, you know, whatever they called them back then um, in, in California. So he ends up going and searching for a job in California. Can't find him. He goes to the employment office. He can't find a job, right? So... The lady's like, now nah, we ain't going to work for you, right? And so he's like, well, I'll just sit here and, and wait till you have something. He was sitting there for like something, some ridiculous amount of time, like 12 hours or something. Until finally the girl's like, look, I got something. I don't know if you're going to want it or not, but it's cleaning toilets for this bread factory. So he's like, yeah, I'll take it. So he starts cleaning. Uh, and it was for a, a pretty popular bread factory. I forgot what the name of the bread brand was. It was like Baird's Bread or something like that. It was probably, I forgot what it was. Anyways, he started with them cleaning toilets. Then he ended up getting another job cleaning the toilets for another bread factory. So he had two cleaning toilet jobs. Then he started going to night school, right? And then he would go home, right? So on average, he was getting maybe three, four hours of sleep every night because he had two jobs and school all at the same time while providing for this family. And as Larry is telling this story, he ends up saying, man, now I understand why my dad was always pissed off. He was sleep deprived. (laughs) He was getting, you know what I mean? He was sleep deprived, bro. It's you not know, because he hated me. It's because he didn't have sleep. Yeah, and bro, also like when life is so hard, and you see like your child, like I don't know, get a tantrum or complain or not want to do something over something that now you perceive as minor because your life is so hard, right? And that's something generally speak about about kids and their parents is that the kid is gonna think a task is hard, and their parent is like, "Are you kidding me?" You're, you're going to argue with me right now washing the dishes? Dude, yeah, my you know? kid throws a tantrum over not being able to open up his sippy cup. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? And so the perspective is like, and then, bro, you don't have time? It's like, dude, I'm not going to argue about you with this. 
I only sleep three hours a night or whatever, you know? And I'm going to waste some of my sleep time arguing over this stupid, you know? Like, I could see how someone would get angry, man. Um, the best experience I've had of myself is when I was working in the car industry. And it was high testosterone, working long hours. Your upper management is yelling at you. You're walking around all day long on your feet, filling out all this paperwork and these forms and taking everybody's crap. And then, you know, you come home, bro, and I would come home frustrated, man. I would come home frustrated. And also, too, that's what I was looking for. I was looking at a light at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes, man, you're just in that mode and you don't see it, man. I could only imagine what, what his dad was going through. So anyways, man, long story short, uh, long story short, man, this long freaking story. But Lord, uh, Larry, who the son, he ended up understanding, getting some understanding and some empathy for his dad. And, you know, and he understood and, and, and they... They reconciled their relationship and now he says they're like best friends like they talk like every day or every week or i don't know what and and shortly thereafter i i think he his dad wrote him a letter he wrote his dad first or i don't know what and that's where he he ended up writing the book dear dear father beloved son or dear father dear son or something like that so y'all could look up that book and look up the, that story if you want larry elder and his dad but my whole point of that is circling back to the work ethic of our generation nowadays is Bro, we don't understand work like that, man. No, we don't. I mean, Sitting in an employment office of all day, the people that are there, they're either blatantly racist where it says, yay, you're in the minority line or you're in the white line, right? And if you're in the minority line, there's guys that are walking in late, late, late. They're all getting the jobs first and you're still sitting there. You're not going to get the job until nobody is there and nobody doesn't walk in for an hour. Maybe. You know, and if I have a personal vendetta because I don't like your kind, then you're you ain't gonna get it. You're just gonna sit there and you ain't gonna do anything about it. We don't know what it is to grow up in that environment, bro. Eat I, it, eat. I know my mom; she has a really good, um, encouraging work story as well. Is that one time when she was in between jobs, she went to the workforce to look for a job. She kept going day over day over day over day, looking for a job. Never got a call back. You know. Until finally, she, she got noticed by, I guess, the supervisor at the workforce. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you're always here. And they're like, you still haven't found a job? She was like, no. They're like, well, show me your resume. She ended up working for a workforce because she kept going. Yeah. Over and over and over and over. Yeah. And never found anything. They're like, we'll hire you. Yeah. Bro. And <laughs> right, so, I mean, if you can show... Bro, and there's a lot, and see, that's what the dad, that's the dad's advice to the son. He says, you know what, As if you work hard, you know, you'll get there eventually. And I hear a million stories like that on people who persevere and never give up, and they ended up mm -hmm. getting it, you know. And when you do get it, you do figure out, hey, you know, work does pay off. And it, again, yeah. it, it, it reinforces that whole uh, long-term incentive, pleasure, reward thing in your mind. But for people that are younger... You know, again, that, that pleasure reward system has been hijacked and it's, it's very hard for them to now develop the good habits, habits of work ethic and discipline and things like that if they've never um, practiced, experienced it or practiced it from a young person, you know? I had to get kicked out of my house before I finally started practicing that work ethic. Yeah. I got kicked out of my house and I was like living out in the streets, you know, for a good point of time. There's a good amount of people that know me. Uh, during that time, I had all of my clothes in my car, right? Would drive to work with all of my clothes in my car. 
go to a random park, right? You know, get dressed, use the restroom there. Sometimes uh, go to truck stops just to take a shower, right? But I never gave up. I just continued on it, continued, continued, continued on it, right? But it's that mindset. It's that you, I mean, a lot of it has to do with my spiritual background as well. I knew that God was always with me, right? I, so I continued to, to always have that drive in me, right? But it was rough. Yeah. It was really rough. I mean, there's actually something that's freeing when you know that you have to do something. Yeah. It's almost a little bit freeing. It's like, I mean, all right. I mean, you could look at the, the birds, you know, they got that huge bird nest at the very top of the tree. And guess what? Once that bird reaches that certain day of age, right, when he's got to start flapping his wings, if he doesn't keep on flapping, right, that bird's just going to go straight to yeah. the bottom. So there, there's something that's there that if you know it's a crutch, kick it. Yeah. You got to kick it, right? I, I think even, Bro, I like that. That's a good saying. Kick the crutch. Kick the crutch. Kick, kick the crutch. The crutch. Right? Because even it came out on the Batman in the Bane movie, I love referencing back to batman but during the pit right the scene of the pit uh christian bale right uh if anybody has ever seen you know the dark knight rises uh, i think that's part three right oops <laughs> yikes uh, either way part three where christian bale bat uh, bruce wayne right he essentially takes off the the little rope that he has that's supposed to secure him from preventing from falling all the way down to the prison yeah. and essentially dying, he had to kick it. He had to let go of the rope in order to climb out. Yeah. Right? Because he knew that if he had that crutch, he didn't have to perform at 100%. Yeah. He knew he could perform like eh, 90%, right? I'll be saved either way. But it wasn't until he let go of that safety harvest, you know, that safety net is when he was able to perform at his yeah. 100%. Yeah, bro. That's so crazy. You know what? Coincidentally, I was thinking about it today. Um, I don't know what initiated the thought in my head, but I was like, I was like, man, what if there was an app that you enter into all your information, your age, your height? More or less, you know, your, your build and your health and all that stuff. And it just does this complete analysis and maybe even your history. It knows a little bit of your genetics. And then it spits out to you the perfect you and the perfect routine for you, knowing what you, what you do, right? So it, it's, let's say for me, example, it sees my weight and it's like, oh, you're 218. Ideally, the most perfect you would be 193, <laughs> Right. And then in order to get there, and this is what the perfect it. you would do you based on your genetics, because people are different. Like I know people that they thrive at six hours, six hours of sleep. And I know people that they need eight hours of sleep. Right. It's weird. People are different. And I know people have different time frames. Right. Supposedly, like now there's apps like there's the dolphin and the wolf and the bear and all these different type frames and ectomorph and endomorph and mesomorph, these different body types and how your body deals with carbohydrates and proteins yeah. and base. Right. So all along those lines. Right. It was just this thing that just spit to you, told you. I was like, bro, that'd be crazy. And it was like almost like, an, a, like a mini alarm. It's like an alarm in Siri in one to where like you're wake up. You're, you're like, it's like eight in the morning and the, the phone is like, the perfect you would be waking up right now. If you want to realize your perfect potential, you would wake up right now. You know what I mean? 
Like, bro, that'd be I crazy. And, and then, bro, but it would be interesting to know because, look, I like one thing that Jordan Peterson says, man. He says, he says, I'm going to say it in his words, right? He says, make a damn schedule, right? He says, set some damn goals. He says, because if you don't, he says, then you're not setting up parameters for success and for failure. Yeah. And he says, well, people say their response is like, well, I don't want to know when I'm failing or whatever. Why? Because it doesn't feel good. It's painful. Right. And he says, that's fine. He says, but the thing is, you're still going to be failing all the time. You just don't know it. And he says, and you can easily fail so bad that there's no recovery from it by the time you're 40 years old, mm -hmm. you know? And so... That's what would be interesting to me to see, right? Not necessarily like, oh, I want to live that discipline of life. But I would like to know more accurately when I'm failing at certain things. Because I know sometimes there's parts of my day where I'm thinking and stuff. And I'm like, bro, ideally, right? Now, I'm a person that, I'm, for the most part, I work for myself. And I have tasks, I have obligations I have to do. But basically, I can attend to them on my own time and on my own schedule and things like that, right? So it's not like you have to do this right now, like like at, a, at a, a regular job with a regular boss where it's like, hey, this is what you're going to do and this is when you're going to do it. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not like that. And so oftentimes I think, man, ideally, what could I be doing to be most efficient with my time in this moment? Right. Should I be working out at this time? Should I minimize my workout instead of from an hour and 20 minutes or an hour, and 30 minutes? Should I bring it down to 50 minutes? And within that time frame, should I be taking shorter rest periods so that I can actually maximize my growth or more hormone, human growth hormone release? Or it's just, like, I'm thinking of all those things, bro. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's my point. Like, it'd be awesome to, I don't know. I mean, from, I guess like a physical aspect, right? If it's telling you, you know, get up, go run a mile or something. Right. Absolutely. But I think to to your to your point, right, is that if if the individual doesn't have goals or doesn't have, you know, something that they're trying to accomplish, then that defaults your brain into just doing the routine schedule. And which is right now, you know, we're being we're being um, what's the word? I guess encouraged to not even pursue goals anymore, right? The bare minimum when we go to school is what? To pass the star test, what used to be the tax test, right? There's pre, there's that goal, right? Whenever you go to school, right? You're going to take, you know, your six, eight different courses. But at the end of the year, all of that knowledge that you learned was just to pass a test, right? And that kind of mindset is what we're encouraging kids nowadays, right? Oh, you're going to grow up, you're going to study, and you're going to go to college, right? These people are going to college, and then they're not even finding jobs. Then they're telling their younger siblings about their situation, how they graduated from college, they can't find a job. That's discouraging now. The younger siblings... Right. So they're not even setting goals for themselves. Right. And that's where that gap is coming in from. Right. Is that drive. Right. Where are you heading? And I, I think it's like what you said. It's a spiritual awakening that people need. Right. And I know I think we've discussed it. I don't know if it was in the previous episode or in a private conversation where even with the persecution of the church. Yeah. Right. We don't see persecution of the church. Why? It's because we've gotten so. We're so 
happy where we're at right yeah we're complacent in our current situation so how do we change it that's a great point bro how you know, you change that mindset. Right? I think you, you created this app, right? But that's going to help you physically wise. But what's yeah. the, we need the app for. And that's interesting because Paul, setting. the apostle Paul says spiritual exercise profit is better than bodily exercise or something. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but you know, um, your spirit is more important or something like that. I forgot the exact, I'm paraphrasing, right? But I, man, I would agree with that. And matter of fact, the, the physical really doesn't even fall into place. And so there's this this spiritual aspect mm-hmm. about you that you kind of get right with yourself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talk, talk, talking about the church, man, you're, you're so right about that, too, man. I, I think the lack of. The lack of the lack of persecution has, has actually been bad for us in, 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 in a lot of ways, because we can we can survive with fraudulent love right because you know jesus jesus when he before he i think when he was in the garden the Senate, he said this new commandment that i give you to love love each other as i have loved you right and that was so it was twofold he told them that and then in his prayer to the father in the garden was like father i pray that that they be in you and, and as the, as i have been in you and that you mm-hmm. love them the way that i have loved, and all that stuff right so he's talking about this unity of love right and so that's supposed to be the foundation of of what we build our relationship to one another on. I mean, matter of fact, it's, it's, it's a default mode. You cannot extract your, the love from a brother from your love for the father. You can't say, I, I love God. And that's what it says in First John. If you say that you love God, whom you have not seen, you know, how can you say that if you don't love your brother who you yeah. do see, right? Type of thing. And so that's what our foundation is supposed to be built on. But we can kind of have this shallow kind of love in the, in the, in the nation and the and the and the comfort that we live in now, it doesn't have to be deep because we don't have to. There is no persecution. Now, on the flip side, for example, if you know, if it was like in the days of the disciples, where you see that you know Peter and Paul and Mary, they're they're coming in and you know there's blood on their shirts and stuff because they just got whipped and lashed and stuff for for preaching the gospel, or whatever, and they come in and. You know, there's this there's this level of like, hey, man, if we're going to do this, like, man, we need to help each other out. So they're praying for one another constantly. So they're constantly praying. If you look at the New yeah, Testament, pray without season. they're constantly praying. And it says that they're like selling their houses and they're distributing in what to, so to the good of the body, to the good of all the, the whole Christian community so that nobody lacks. It says there was no lack among them. And they're doing all these things that to us seem super radical right now, but they're doing it because they truly they truly loved each other. And then there's a, there's another level of intimacy as far as that goes. You know, it's talked about in the scriptures where it says, you know, bear one another's burdens and and you know, uh, grieve with those who grieve and laugh with those who laugh. And and it's talking about just this spiritual and emotional interconnection that usually you only see in immediate family. But it's speaking about that being the culture of the church in this time and. We don't see it on that on that level right now. No, no, and that that's not even speaking in in just the the religious aspect, but as the human nature aspect of it, you don't see that anymore. You don't see, you know, hardly when you go out in the public, you don't see the gentleman opening up the the lady's car, you know, car door, right? That's chivalry that people used to do, you know, out of courtesy. Right. It was just something that was implemented in the family core values. Right. It was like you open up the door, 
back, you know, a couple hundred years ago, right? No, that's oppressive patriarchy, (laughs) Kane. You know, we don't stand up anymore when a woman leaves the table, right? We don't, we don't, you know, show or demonstrate any of those type of characters. My lady. Right, my lady. It's like, my pardon, my lady. So going you know to to the culture and the mindset of it all it's i it's just that that human that human connection i think has even become even more disattached through the pandemic right through the isolation through the quarantine that everybody was doing a lot of people are now being self-claimed introverts, right? Where they're just like, you know what? I just want to stay home. I want to be isolated. But you know that that was a human self-taught uh, type of characteristic. Because as far as humans are concerned, we were always made for being dependent, on either one another or on a higher being, right? We were created to depend on our creator. Yeah. Right? We're, we we're can't very, do we're, anything. We're very vulnerable if you really think about so, a human. So this pandemic making everybody an introvert, now you're changing the mindset of how you were originally created. You are now self-teaching or now you are making a mindset that is completely contradictory to what you were originally created. I mean, that's interesting because you can actually go back a lot further than the pandemic, bro. I mean, you can, you you could probably go back as far as all these industrial revolutions because you know, you you think about the the agricultural revolution where we got machinery that was able to plow fields and stuff like that. And, and, and we could do it in, in such a, a brief time. And we got machinery and factory that was able to, you know, um, break down wheat grains and flour to create cereals and flowers and stuff and all that on a mass scale so that, you know, you really no longer need it, right? Like uh, one of the statistics of the Great Depression is that one in four Americans was a farmer back in that time. And now you got about two million farmers that are feeding the rest of the American population, like 330 million people or what have you, you know? So back in those days when everybody was farming and stuff, there was all this, there was a lot of barter community. And, and now the agriculture is that, you know, the government has subsidized certain crops over others. So they subsidize corn and soy and wheat and stuff like that. You know, when, when before all of that, you know, farmers were growing all types of stuff, you know, and, um, there was a lot, there were a lot more community oriented and stuff like that, you know, but because of these revolutions and the factories where people started coming over the, off of the farms and, and going to the, to the jobs that were in the factories and changing their whole lifestyle, right. Selling the farm, right. I, I sold the farm. That's a common thing, uh, a common phrase. And I think it's from back then when, when, it, when people, a lot of people were doing that and moving to the cities and the suburbs to start transitioning into that lifestyle. So you no longer got your food from the farm now you got it from the local grocery store the local local market and mm-hmm. we're so far removed from those days when we're bartering and trading and you know you got well, your you know eggs and i got means. my yeah we're, we're so we don't do that no more and it's foreign to us you know now you're inconvenienced maybe by your neighbor who comes and knocks on your door and asks you for something you're like dude go buy your own ketchup man 
and, you know? and it's funny because again i always like referencing back to to some kind of movie especially if it's a superhero movie i just recently watched the um, that doctor strange multiverse of madness yeah that, that new doctor strange that movie. one was weird so I don't know if you remember a clip when they're skipping through all the the universes. They they go to a universe and the girl gets a hot dog, and she's like, "Yeah, it's free here." She's like, "Food is free in every universe except yours." Yeah, so I weird. do remember that part. And I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "You know what?" I was like, "She's." I was like, "That's that's that, deep." That's, that was like, you know what? I was like, "That's actually possible." That's deep. Everything could be free. You know? It could. And, and Bro, a, you know what? Perfect, in a perfect world, you know, everything could be free. Bro, what's crazy is you talking about that is I was recently thinking about that when I had our, our charity, our barber event. And it's crazy because... This this one okay there was this one individual walked in bro uh feed him it fades man he's a barber that's there in Donna so I let my friend feed know fades. that's the name of his barber shop <laughs> that's my new favorite word feed him it fades like, baby like, y'all already know feed me home that's right dog <laughs> so shout out to feed him at home shout out to feed him it fades baby. Fade me up. So uh, I told my friend Edson about it, right? Edson de Leon, right? We, we all went to the barber college. Not really necessarily at the same time, but I've known Edson for a long time. So Edson apparently tells Feed Me. I hadn't met, met him yet. He tells Feed Me, right? Feed Me Fades. Mm-hmm. Feed Me had just came to an, from another uh, charity, charity event for a school district cutting hair for free, right? So he comes and he brings his crew, bro. There's like five barbers total. And then there's like a little group of his family came too, so they're sitting over there, they're chilling like his wife and daughters, and they have friends and stuff. And then there's some other little kids that are with them, and he has this one little kid walking around like taking video of everybody and stuff. And and he brought like this whole culture, and uh, like they're all doing it for 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 free, and they're all investing their time together. Like and they're all looking up to one another. They're like, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like kind of blown away. I'm like, man. And I said, well, one kid in particular, he was telling he was going up to everybody and he was doing videos and he's like, hey, you want to get a fake? You know, and we're like, man, where'd this kid come from? He's like, man, he actually came from the last event. He says we were handing out shirts. I gave him a shirt. <clears throat> the kid liked the shirt so much. He went and changed it immediately. And then, you know, he I guess he told the mom, hey, he could roll with me or whatever. So he brought this kid in there. This kid is all part of the thing. Right. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, man, bro, they're all doing it just it's just it's like this energy but mm-hmm. this but this energy is not incentivized by money no the thing is everything in our culture it takes energy it takes time it takes investment ultimately it's energy mm-hmm. right whether it's to build a house or whatever human activity it is it's energy that you need to invest in that particular activity whatever it is bacon cookies whatever your product or service is it requires energy investment on your part you're doing a certain thing that you've gotten good at right that's what this individual was doing, except the incentive for him to do it was not money. And that's the thing that was blowing me away. And I'm like, bro, it's possible, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and then, well, I went back to the Gospels and I'm like, but what made me, what the revelation I had was that it's not that hard. It isn't. It's just, we just have to agree. You know who mastered it? The Amish. Bro. <laughs> Man. Dude, I think there's a meme about that too. And I shared a meme like, yeah, like that. Was, yeah, Did you see the like, one it was like, where I'm like in all black and I'm like, 
when you know that the Amish were doing it right there. They were doing it right the whole time, just bro. Hidden in the field with a little pitchfork. Yeah. And it's like when the whole uh, energy grid went down in Texas during the freeze and all that stuff. And they've been like rejecting mainstream electricity their whole lives. And like, who's the fool now, man? All the candles. Mm-hmm. Damn, Jebediah, you better make a room for me out there in the stable. You were right, Jebediah. Dang, dude. You were right. Dang it. And we're over there, can't even get water and toilet paper. And they're can't over there eating their, their homemade butter and stuff, ice cream and whatnot, cheese there curds. De- there was definitely butter in his church. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's the fool now, Kane? I know, I know, man. Darn that Jebediah. You know what? But look, t- to wrap this all up on that note, that's what we got to do. We need to open our mind. We need to be free thinkers. We need to look. We need to ask ourselves, what are we made for? What's our purpose? Just deep questions like that. Those are examples of deep questions. But deep questions like that that put you on the route to figuring out what it is that you're here for or what you want to do in life. I think it's a good challenge to to give to our viewers, right, is to go out and see, you know, where is it that you can invest some of your time? Right. Giving back to the community for free. Right. Not charging, not getting paid for it. Right. But actually devoting their their time, their effort, their energy. Right. Into giving back to the community, whether it be, you know. Volunteering at their local food bank, whatever the case may be. Right. Whatever type of connections that they may have with their, you know, city their local county right is to to make that difference right we need to start with ourselves in order if we're going to impact you know our county our state our district yeah so i i open up this challenge right to any viewer that's out there right now is to think and to focus right where is it that you couldn't apply your your energy your strengths right your qualities and making just in general somebody's day better right just by telling somebody oh nice smile right oh i like your outfit right just a simple compliment can go a long way yeah so i i challenge your viewers all right right there it is guys but uh so we'll wrap it up with that thank you guys for tuning and listening and until next time we will be definitely trying to do this more often now um again like share subscribe help us build this channel help us grow this thing if you guys think that what we're talking about is important uh the more that you guys support us whether it be through subscribers or comments or whatever hopefully we get to the point where the more time and the more uh energy that we can do and invest in it to find out even greater details report on more stories so that we can just inform you guys in any and all ways possible to make the quality of your life better so you know you guys you know speaking about communities this is something that we're doing for free and that's the reason i do it is because i feel like there's things that are invested in my mind that i could share with the world that maybe it'll it'll help somebody absolutely knowledge is power yeah knowledge is power you gotta share it yeah be stingy with it that's right baby all right god bless you guys till next time